the field of regenerative medicine has expanded dramatically. You know, 15 years ago, I learned from orthopedic surgeons that they could use stem cell type therapy like platelet-rich plasma and other types of cell therapy to rejuvenate joints and bones and heal wounds faster. And we figured, well, let's try that in hair transplants and see if we could heal people faster. And amazingly, it worked. All right, my friends, it's Dr. A, and I want to welcome you back to another episode here on the Fit Father Project and the Fit Mother Project podcast. And today's conversation is going to be the first of its kind because we are going to be talking about hair restoration, hair loss with the true leading expert in the space, Dr. Alan Bauman. He's an internationally renowned hair restoration physician known for his expertise in treating hair loss and his pioneering work in the field. Since starting his medical hair loss practice, Bauman Medical, in 1997, he's treated over 33,000 patients and performed over 12,000 hair transplantation procedures and administered over 12,000 PRP treatments. So this is the guy in the space, and he has a state-of-art facility in Boca Raton, Florida, that basically is the hub for all of his deep work. And his career is super accomplished. He's one of 200 physicians worldwide to have achieved certification for the American Board of Hair Restoration Surgery. He's pioneered numerous techniques in the space that we're going to hear about today, including follicular unit extraction, low-level laser therapy, some PRP injections, and so much more. And his expertise has been featured all over the place, NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN, any channel with three letters, he's probably been on it. And he's been uh, the recipient of the 2022 Lifetime Achievement Award in Hair Restoration, being named one of the top... 10 CEOs transforming hair care in America. So Dr. Bauman, welcome to the podcast. And I got to say, like, it's a privilege to have this platform to be able to speak with experts and to have our audience get to have some time with you. Because I imagine if they were trying to get into your clinic, there's a little bit of a wait list, but now they get to hear some of the stuff that they may be interested on hair. So thanks for being here. Oh, thanks, Anthony. It's great to be with you. So first question to kick it off is let's talk about why hair is important like the significance of it, right? We're born with it. We have this stuff. It starts to fall out. But like, what's the bigger context? And like, why'd you dedicate your life to hair? What does it mean to you? And what does it mean you believe to all of us? Yeah, well, having talked to over, as you said, 33,000 patients who are dealing with hair loss and seeing my dad go through his hair loss situation and, and me dealing with some of my own hair loss, I can tell you that hair is a very emotional organ. And so, uh, you know, hair is something sometimes we take for granted. You know, you, you're born with it, you have it. And, uh, but then it can start to fade. It can start to look different. And so much like other parts of our body, like our brains, our bones, and our skin, which is more visible, obviously, as it starts to degrade, we may not be so happy about that. And for some, uh, it can happen like right after puberty, like quickly, you know, uh, young men in their 20s, 20% of men can experience some hair loss. And, uh, you know, I feel for those guys because if you're one of the five guys, either in the boardroom or in the bar on a Friday night, and you're the one with male pattern baldness, you know, you might feel a little bit different. And uh, that's not such a good feeling. So hair, I guess, is important evolutionarily because it's a sign of aging, right? And so you can make a judgment call about somebody from across the room uh, based on their age and, and evolutionarily, like that would be fertility, right? If yeah. they're going to be a good mate and propagate the species for us, that would be the point of evolution. And uh, I think we're kind of hardwired in our lizard brains uh, to judge people based on that, uh, you know, that, that outward appearance, you know. So hair is uh, a sign of aging that you can see from across the room. And yeah. for many folks, not everybody, 
But for many folks, uh, once they start losing it, they want to try to protect it and enhance it. And, uh, and if they've lost it, they want to try to restore it, you know. Not everybody can be like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you know, or and rock uh, the ball, yeah, for sure, right, right. So not not everybody can get away with that, and and especially you mentioned, uh, you know, that you have a lot of uh, women listeners as well. You know, there's not a lot of good uh, examples out there in uh, in the media and other other places uh, of female baldness being like chic or you know or or nice or, right. or or fashionable. You know, Sinead O'Connor. I mean, that's like you know, you can count on one finger. That's about it. So not too many good uh, examples out there for people to follow. For sure. And I mean, to, to see how fundamental that is, if, if it is something that so much of our confidence and our sense of vitality and the way people perceive us, like if that can be improved, the benefits across the board that happen are pretty tremendous. And so what are some of the causes of hair loss and even hair thinning? Is it hereditary? Is it related to our lifestyle and stress? Are we seeing more of it now today than in years past? Or is it just that we have you know, more available treatments and options? Well, I think the more available treatment options you have, the more you tend to notice that, oh, this is something that we can fix. But I think we do live in a high-stress environment. I think we're dysregulated uh, metabolically and, and physiologically in a lot of different ways, hormonally and everything else from our environment and our food supply. And, and obviously, that's maybe beyond the topic of our conversation today, but certainly we see a lot of accelerated hair loss. We've just lived through a very, uh, you know, tough time, let's say globally with the pandemic and lockdowns, right. a lot of, uh, depression and, and, um, you know, dealing with the, 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 the functions of social media and things like that, the pressures of, of, uh, of everything that's happening economically and otherwise, certainly, uh, cortisol is not a friend to the hair follicle. And so, if you are not getting enough sleep, if you're stressed out, if you fight or flight situation, uh, if you're not getting good nutrition, your hair is going to suffer. But here's the thing. Most of the time, it has a hereditary basis. So like in the beginning of our conversation, I, you know, I saw my dad struggle with his hair loss, uh, went from a, a thinning to a comb over to a hair piece. Uh, eventually, we got a chance to transplant him. And of course, his dad, my grandfather, I never met the guy with hair. He, you know, he was bald from the time I can remember as a child. So I, I thought maybe it was coming my way. And my mom's dad also had some severe hair loss. So we know there's a huge genetic component. And so if you're looking around the, you know, the family gathering, you know, the family reunion, or, you know, you're having, even if it's a Zoom reunion, you know, you can see who's what's going on out there. Uh, But if you have a family album or on Facebook, you can obviously uh, Instagram, whatever, you can see who's out there with hair and without. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that can cause some concern for sure. If you think uh, that there are many people in your family, men or women with thinning or hair loss. And a lot of women will, you know, pass down the information that, oh, you know, grandma wore a wig when she was XYZ years old and she had super thin, fine hair and maybe nobody even noticed. But, you know, the women kind of pass that along like, oh, you've got thin, fine hair like grandma or Aunt Sally and, and you might be prone to this as you go down the road. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that could uh, make your follicles uh, degrade and decrease their function and miniaturize over time. But there's that hereditary component that's the big piece of the puzzle, for sure. Nice. And I've heard, I don't know if this is like a just a myth or something, but I've heard it's like you look at your mother's side and your grandpa or your mom's dad, and like maybe that's a determinant. Is there anything with the familial line on a mom versus dad side? Is there something to that or not necessarily? 
Yeah, well, that's an old wives' tale, but maybe an old husband's tale. Who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, that's the mother's father. But there are a lot of things that are ex-linked, uh, and hair loss may be one of them. But we know today that there's so much more in terms of the different single nucleotide polymorphisms, the, the SNPs right. literally in the genetic code uh, that determine hair color, quality, texture. Uh, the length of your hair, the you know the, how long those follicles spend in the growing phase is genetically determined. Mm-hmm. And then the pattern of hair loss, how quickly it develops, what's the rate, the momentum, what's the end point, um, all of that we can see in the in the DNA. And actually today we do sometimes DNA testing to see what treatments someone might respond to better nice. or not. So that's that's part of personalized precision medicine, and it's exciting to be on the forefront of that. But so the short answer is it could be mom's side, it could be the dad's side, it could skip siblings, it could skip generations. Sometimes it seems to just come out of nowhere. Check the mailman. No, I'm just teasing. But, uh, you know, there's... um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of nuance there in the genetics, and we have only started to scratch the surface of things uh, that we could find in the genetic code. I believe that could influence hair loss and hair restoration treatments for sure. Okay, and and, and we're about to take the turn in this conversation to get into some of the deeper procedures and therapies for hair restoration that you're an expert in. I have a couple like more quick fire questions before we get there, just because I'm really curious. Sure. If someone has more thin hair versus more thick hair, does that, is a thinner hair set make them more predisposed for hair loss, um, you know, versus having thicker hair follicles themselves? Well, here's the thing. Um, it's kind of like, think of it like a forest, right? So what kind of trees do you have in the forest? Do you have oak trees or do you have birch trees? Yeah. And, uh, you know, a forest that's thick of oak, you know, you can afford to lose a couple of them and still have some good ground coverage. Um, where if you've got a forest of birch and you lose the same percentage, you know, you might see more scalp shining through, in other words. Right. So um, I think it flows both ways in the loss and in the restoration. If you have low quality hair to begin with, it tends to look thinner, finer, and deliver less coverage sooner than if you had thicker, coarser, curlier hair. Um, And sometimes what can happen is that if you, let's say, have darker hair to start with, and then all of a sudden it starts to go gray, you actually get a little bit more coverage uh, temporarily from that turning of or loss of color, uh, in the scalp, in the follicles, you get more, you get less scalp coverage, uh, if it's, if the hair is darker. So sometimes you can lose a lot more hair and be gray and get away with it. Um, but so, yeah, those are all really, really important variables to kind of keep an eye on. And in, in terms of restoration as well. So like if you needed restoration, whether it's a transplant or other therapies, and again, your best quality hair is a birch tree, not an oak, uh, then you're going to be a little hamstrung there. We need to work a little bit harder mm-hmm. to get to the end result for you. Nice. Great answer. And now male versus female hair thinning. I've, you know, we hear male pattern baldness. We know it's hormonally related for some guys, you know, yeah. and, and then like, is the female the same thing? Is it driven by that DHT kind of thing? Or are there other mechanisms that have gender specific basis to them? Yeah. So in men, we know specifically DHT is the primary trigger. Now, that's not to say that, you know, an infection or vaccination or stressful situation or even jet lag couldn't accelerate the hair loss, uh, poor nutrition, you know, you name it. Um, you know, you can really cause a lot of dysregulation of the hair follicle a number of ways. In women, follicles seem to be more sensitive to all of those things. So, you know, when we get to childbirth and, uh, and, and there's hair fall six weeks after uh, the, the child is born, we, it's because of the crash of hormones after pregnancy is over. During menopause, there's the change in hormonal status. But 
again, I think that in just in general, what I've seen in my patients, uh, and I see I treat 50% men, 50% women uh, in consultation, uh, different therapies might be uh, recommended in those in different categories. And of course, not all women are great candidates for hair transplants, for sure. But what I see is that there's a lot of uh, more sensitivity in the female population, not just to um, DHT, but also you know maybe thyroid hormone and estrogen right. and and these other factors, or even small changes in their diet and nutritional status, or um, you know mental status even with cortisol and and stress that could really really accelerate female pattern hair loss. But female pattern hair loss looks different, right? So we should probably back up. Male pattern hair loss, it's easy to spot, right? Receding yeah. hairline, thinning in the crown, the, the v, yeah, totally. Exactly. So it leaves you with like a little widow's peak sometimes yeah. in the middle. Um, in women, the hairline doesn't recede till much later on. They usually have a diffuse thinning up in the front. So if you measure the hair, the hair in the back around the sides usually is pretty darn good, especially what we call the occipital zone, which is where the occipital bone lives, right? The part that hits the pillow when you lean back. That's usually your best hair unless you're wearing hair extensions or done something else. Um, But in terms of male and female pattern hair loss, that's going to be your high quality, high density hair. And in women, you get kind of a diffuse thinning in the frontal zone, sometimes stretching around the frame of the face. And then eventually, sometimes it does recede like men. Uh, so we do often have to do transplantation for men to restore the hairline and coverage in the crown and for women to adjust the density and coverage and also to maybe improve their temples as well. Nice. All right. So what's the, what's the right time to start pursuing hair restoration? Is it like as soon as you see it? So let's say I'm a guy in my thirties and I'm seeing it happen, or maybe on the other end of the spectrum, let's say I've been bald for a long time and I'm maybe like 55, 60. Like, is there a timing aspect to the success of pursuing restoration? Well, I mean, you've heard an ounce of prevention, right? Is worth a pound of cure. So the good news is that we have a lot of therapies and treatments for both men and women that are non-invasive, non-chemical even, regenerative treatments that can target and and enhance the function of the hair follicle. So the earlier you start those treatments, the better you're going to have in terms of a head of hair. Your hair span, right? The amount of time that you live with your amazingly thick full head of hair is going to increase if you start early. So the earlier you take intervention and take action, the better your results will be in the long run. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't take patients from bear to hair. My dad is a great example of that. I mean, he was totally bald up at the top. He was wearing a hairpiece for 20 years. He had six strands of hair up there, but a ton of hair around the sides and the back. And so through transplantation, we gave him a full head of hair. Nice. Um, but yeah, he would have been better off, you know, maybe not washing his head with a bar of soap for so many years. Maybe he should have been doing something different other than that um, to protect his existing hair. So by the time you, as a science, right? So by, by the time you notice that your hair is a little bit thin, mm-hmm. you've already lost about 50% of the density. Wow. So you really don't want to yeah. wait until you can visibly see the scalp shining through. Although sometimes, you know, it's just the way that it happens. Women typically have a little bit more sensitivity to that. They typically take more of an inventory of their hair right. over time. They're more, they're more knowledgeable about how much they're shedding every day, how much is in their brush or on their pillow, their ponytail volume. You know, these are ways that they subconsciously track their hair inventory. And men, we're just kind of like, you know, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Like, yeah. I have a patient who didn't even know he was bald in the back of his head until he went on his honeymoon and got sunburned back there. Yeah. You know, so the bottom line is, yes, prevention is key. And even if you need a hair transplant, you've got to hold on to the hair that you have. That's really important. So 
There's a variety of things that we do to intervene to stop the progression of the hair loss. But it all starts with that evaluation, the measurements of the density. So we use AI-powered microscopes, for example, to look at density and hair caliber and to track that over time, set a, get a, set a baseline so that we know what's working and what's not. Nice. And I think this is literally the perfect segue into the, the real middle meat of this conversation, which is I, w- I want you to explain some of the best procedures for hair restoration. Knowing that most of us probably don't even know any of these acronyms of these procedures you've pioneered or do thousands of times. So maybe you speak to us about some of the simple, even to more advanced stuff that you do. Um, and along the way, you know, who is a particular candidate for these types of things uh, and what people can expect in terms of results as well? Sure. And, you know, there's a lot of different types of hair loss. So probably the most important thing is to make sure that you have the accurate diagnosis. Because if you're trying to treat male pattern baldness and you actually have an inflammatory condition, you know, or something else that's causing scarring alopecia, which is hair loss, scarring hair loss, you know, you're going down the wrong track right off the bat. So the first most important thing is maybe not visit like a cloud or, you know, get information from a cloud pharmacy or a local Durham, but actually talk to a specialist, you know, and if it's not one of, if it's not me, and hopefully it's one of my board certified colleagues, you know, in the field of hair restoration, who's a specialist, you know, there's so many folks out there that say they treat hair loss, but they're non-core. They don't specialize. In it. So right. you're, those folks are going to be limited. Your dermatologist has a toolbox that has two things. <laughs> you know, here at Bauman Medical, we've got a laundry list of things that we can do. And it starts out, think of it like a garden, right? You want to make sure the soil is good before you plant a seed. And so I have an entire department that's geared towards scalp health. So if you have symptomatic scalp, itchy, flaky, oily, dry, dandruff, whatever, you know, inflammation, tender to the touch, even folliculitis or scalp acne. We want to get that cleared up before we do any kind of therapy to try to grow better hair. And metabolically, you better get yourself on point. You know, it's going to be difficult to grow hair if you're nutritionally deficient, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, not to pick on the vegans and vegetarians. And, you know, I I don't know how your uh, patient population or or, um, most of your listening are not are not vegetarian. There may be a few. But most yeah, I mean, look, say. let's just call them strict dieters, uh, strict nutritional, restrictive, or or highly uh, disciplined folks. Um, you know, may have trouble counting uh, the amount of protein calories they need. So there's nutrients and there's fuel, right? And you got to break that into uh, consideration, especially if you're going to feed these uh, highly metabolic cell populations that are within the hair follicle. So. Um, yeah, you want to make sure you're feeding the follicle and that the, the soil for the for the ground, so to speak, is good for the plant. And that's where the scalp health department comes in. I have a trichologist, a full-time trichologist. And so then we look at nutrition and we look at, you know, all the holistic issues. Are you staying up all night, you know, doing something in, you know, a night shift work or, you know, are you frequently jet lagged or malnourished in some way or metabolically unstable and things like that. So get all that stuff out in the open. We can start chipping away at it. Um, let's look at uh, different supplements that we could add to your regimen. If you're stressed, let's look at my ashwagandha supplement. If you're protein deficient, yeah. let's get some collagen powder on board. You know, a young guy maybe never thought about taking a vitamin. Let's get some vitamins going, you know, so, some good nutrient uh, dense foods and things such as that. And then medications, right? So there's the medication category. There's the well-known FDA approved Rogaine minoxidil and yeah. Propecia finasteride. But today we can apply finasteride topically to avoid systemic side effects. And we can apply minoxidil in a pill using compounded prescriptions so that you don't have to slather it into your hair and get it all greasy gooey up there. 
So there's a lot of new types of medications that are out there. And then there's non-chemical therapies, things that you can do at home, like red light therapy. And so using photobiomodulation uh, effectively, using a good quality medical-grade laser, like a Bauman Turbo laser cap, rather than something you're buying on Amazon for a couple of hundred bucks, you know, is going to make a world of difference. Um, and it's going to save you a lot of time, effort, and energy because these are very, very powerful units, medical-grade lasers. And they work. People say, does the laser really work? Well, yeah. We've got double-blind randomized clinical trials that show it. And the meta-analysis of those studies, which is the yeah. strongest evidence on the planet. And, of course, our experience since 1999 with laser light therapy. So laser can help with wound healing, hair growth, skin rejuvenation, yeah. pain control. And, and I'm sure that your listeners and followers are up to speed on some of that uh, new technology. And then uh, the field of regenerative medicine has expanded dramatically. You know, 15 years ago, I learned from orthopedic surgeons that they could use stem cell type therapy like platelet-rich plasma and other types of cell therapy to rejuvenate joints and bones and heal wounds faster. And we figured, well, let's try that in hair transplants and see if we could heal people faster. And amazingly, it worked. And so, and then also we got better hair growth on the back end from it. And so, uh, we realize that there's some nuance to how to create PRP. We don't have to do three treatments in a row. We can actually do a high-density platelet treatment and add some other things to it as well in that category of regenerative medicine and stem cell therapy like exosomes or PDO threads and such. But those are some of the basic things that we talk about in consultation. From the basics, nutrition and lifestyle, to hair care, what's the right scalp hygiene protocol for you, and then medications, what's going to be right versus your uh, risk tolerance and what you'd like to be on, you know, and open-ended essentially, and then non-chemical treatments like red light and regenerative medicine that we do here in the office. But if the follicle's dead and gone, you know, then it's time for the farmer to plant some seeds, you know? And that's the transplantation process, correct? Well, Bauman means farmer in German. (laughs) Did you know that? No, but that's so Bao is like yeah, I didn't know that until this year. Someone told me Bao is like a tree guy, you know, a tree guy is is a farmer. So (laughs) like that's me. Yeah. So uh yeah, so hair transplants are very different than years ago. You know, most people have in their mind something pluggy or weird, like you know, Joe Biden's hair transplants from the nineteen seventies, which was awful. If you don't remember, then go Google it. Um but um, you know, today's technology is all single follicle implantation. So using artistry, we can create something that's normal and natural. And using technology, we can now take those grafts one at a time from the back of the scalp without a scalpel, without stitches, without a linear scar. And nice. so you know, folks who have had old style procedures out there may have had some old scarring, but we can still harvest the follicles today without having to do that invasive work for them. And um, I'm a full-time board-certified hair surgeon who only does minimally invasive FUE, follicular unit extraction or excision. That is the uh, the gold standard, if you will, for minimally invasive work, uh, getting those hairs out without that scalpel incision. And today nice. we can actually do it without having to shave your head too. That's awesome. I mean, really convenient, especially for someone who's looking to improve their hair and not go through something dramatic. Um, Now, because I'm a little bit ignorant on how these procedures exactly work, when you remove a follicle from the back, that means it's gone back there and now it's effectively moved in a very elegant way to an area of of low density or complete baldness. So do we just like, we're just shifting hair then? Or do we net get more follicles over time? No, 
over. There's no net gain. Unfortunately, there's no way. That's why early action is so important, right? Early yeah. treatment is so critical because we don't have hair cloning available for humans. We don't have a way to multiply hair follicles. You can't multiply like pancreatic cells. You know, you can multiply, right. uh, you know, Langerhans cells and throw them back in and hopefully, you know, that would help uh, with diabetes and things like that. You can create more top a cartilage for a knee and throw it in there. You know, you can spray some skin cells, but you can't get a new follicle. So it is a one for one. So that's why you don't want to waste any. And you got to treat them carefully. You got to get them out of the scalp with care and expertise and handle it like it's a, it's a delicate organ as it is. You have to store it carefully. Special temperature, a cooling tray at four degrees centigrade, special solutions. Like you could store uh, a heart and lung that was traveling across, you know, over the uh, from transatlantic or whatever for yeah. transplantation, you know, we, we have special storage um, solutions and, and, and light sources to feed the follicles while they're sitting outside the body and special instruments and magnification, obviously, so that we can implant those follicles delicately one at a time. Because mm-hmm. the angle, the orientation, the position is is critical. But yeah, so you're you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, like mm-hmm. my dad. You know, I always use his example because he had enough donor hair to fill up the scalp to make it look like he has a full head of hair. Does he mathematically have a full head of hair? No way. It's yeah. impossible. It's you know, we took a lot of hair out of here. But I could take almost half of the hair from the back and put it up and through the top in the center, and he looks like he has a full head of hair. And nice. it does not degrade any coverage in the back, right? That's the trick. Mm-hmm. That's the will. artistry of this, right? I mean, yeah. I, and that's fantastic to know. Now, th- another kind of crazy question, and obviously this has been well thought out. What about people who have baldness up top but still have like axillary or pubic hair? Like, is why not use those? I'm sure, is it just weird because you'd have like pubic-like hair growing on the top of your head? So we could do a whole podcast on alternative sources of donor hair. And... uh you know, first of all, if we're running out of hair from the scalp, it's a, it's an important concern, right? If there's a lot of scar tissue, somebody's had some old procedures and they have uh, visible scars and they don't have good coverage, what do we do? Well, yeah, we can go to alternative sources of donor, but uh, before we hit the pubic hair, let's do it with the beard first, okay? Um, <laughs> yeah. So the beard is actually very robust. It grows very well on the scalp. And I'm amazed that like every single week we're doing beard to scalp harvesting implantation. So it's a very, very big part of my practice. I've been doing beard to scalp for, I think, well over 15 years, 2010 or earlier was uh, our first uh, beard to scalp harvesting. And it works amazing. But it does have a little bit different texture, sometimes a little bit different color. Uh, So, you know, we have to carefully use it. Maybe it's not appropriate for every patient in the hairline, but uh, kind of peppering in in between. Think of those oak Mm. trees scattered in between the birch. You know, it can be a miracle cure for many patients and a huge lifeboat for those who thought that they've been turned down because of lack of donor hair. Nice. So, but we can do a whole podcast on other alternative sources of donor hair. And you brought up axillary hair, right? I've done axillary hair to scalp, although it comes with a sweat gland. So, you know, should you be (laughs) using deodorant up there? I don't know. That was, that was in the consent. Um, we've done pubic to, to, uh, scalp hair and, uh, see Saturday night live thought that they were doing something funny, you know, but art sometimes imitates life. We do, uh, pubic hair transplants in some cases. And, um, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, what we get asked to, to replace and restore sometimes. Mm -hmm. Now, without necessarily needing to get into the specifics, like, how much do these things kind of like cost people who are interested in pursuing this? Because I know there's multiple people listening to this right now and they're like, I really think this sounds great, but 
I think this is going to be like crazy expensive. And like, how do you talk people through that? Because like at a certain point, you could say, what price could you put on your well-being and your your confidence in your life? And, and again, I'm sure there's also like financial concerns that people have. So how do you speak to patients about that who are interested, but maybe concerned that this might be like crazy and out of reach for them? Sure. And and unfortunately for some, it might be out of reach. Um, you know, the good news is that practices like mine, uh, if they have someone, if someone has been injured in an accident, uh, and especially military veterans, I'm very keen on doing those cases pro bono. If they've had some accident while serving this great nation um, in combat or otherwise, or, uh, you know, in preparation to, to protect and preserve our freedoms, then uh, I encourage those folks to reach out and let's see if there's something we can do. I can't take you know every single one, but we have a I have a five hundred one c three called the Bauman Philanthropic Foundation that handles that. Nice. Um, you know, uh, one of uh, our even scalp prosthetic uh, devices. We are expertise. We have experts in in the practice. Uh, we've been using cranial prosthetics uh, for those who cannot undergo hair transplantation, and sometimes those are provided pro bono as well. If it's a serious injury, like a burn victim, we had a, a woman who, as a child, was burned in a terrible kitchen fire, and she was wearing a wig her whole life, and uh, we were able to get her a cranial prosthetic. Um, but so those cases are difficult to run through the beauty budget. Um, you know, obviously there are many different types of providers out there, just as it is for hormone optimization therapy, uh, and longevity. You know, you can go down and get the guy off the bus bench, you know, 1-800-LOW-T, uh, (laughs) you know, or you can go to someone, you know, who's uh, world renowned in the world of, of, uh, hormone optimization, and you could potentially be paying, uh, six figures a year to be under his care. Mm -hmm. So, um, the good thing about hair is that if you start early enough, uh, the numbers are low, right? So what does that mean? You know, a prescription medication could be eighty to one hundred dollars a month, uh, which is nice because uh, it will reduce the side effects from the, the regular medications that you might get at the pharmacy or uh, in the supermarket. Let's say in the Rogaine bottle, laser devices on the market in Amazon. You know, you're looking at six hundred, six hundred to eight hundred dollars for one of those devices, but you're going to be hamstrung by the portability, uh, you know, the power. And the more medical grade devices are going to be in a three to five thousand dollar category. Uh, the top end would be like the Turbo Laser Cap, which is completely portable, rechargeable, hands free, size adjustable, lifetime warranty. But that's you know, a laser, good quality laser is a, a, a lifelong investment. You're going to have that forever, and hopefully, you right. get one that has a lifetime warranty. Um, just like a TV, you want to get well, something that's going to last, right? It's a piece yeah. of electronic equipment. Um, in terms of injectable treatments like the regenerative medicine therapies, you know, those therapies start typically around $3,000. We have a newer technology that's called TED, transepidermal delivery. That's an in-office treatment with no needles, no downtime. That has an effect similar to PRP um, that requires a few treatments. So you package of that is comparable in cost to a PRP treatment. So those mm-hmm. it's going to be in about the $3,000 category. And they jump up from there. Uh, with PDO threads, you're maybe in the $5,000 category. Exosome therapy, maybe in the $8,000 category. And then you get into hair transplants, which can range depending on the session size. Anywhere from ten dollars to even $50,000 for a procedure, depending on the size and the scope of what we're doing. Um, you know, uh, and how we're getting the hairs. So there's a set fee per graft. 
if we're if we can shave your whole head, then it's faster, right? So there's a little bit of a savings there. If you're a high profile individual, you're front facing, C level executive, you're uh, you know an actor, politician, entertainer, you can't change your hairstyle. You have long hair. Um, you know we can take the hair follicles without shaving, but it takes longer. And you don't get as much hair. So that procedure is a little bit more expensive. That's like the, you know, that's the ultimate. That's the five-star thing, VIP thing. So it can range depending on how much grafting you need. But that's why I encourage anybody who's out there with a little bit of hair loss or a lot of hair loss, you know, let's get to the bottom of the situation. Let's figure out what you need to get the job done. And that way we can come up with a good budget for you, um, a beauty budget, if you will, and how to apply that. You know, you may yeah. be better off dedicating the dollars from PRP into a hair transplant, you know, or if you're young, maybe vice versa, dedicating it more now to the preventatives so that you don't need as much transplants later on. Nice. So that's where the consultation really gets, you know, down into the weeds in terms of what a patient needs and wants and what fits into the, his or her lifestyle and their risk tolerance. And again, this is, we will have links in the show notes to, to all the places where people can connect with you more. Is it baumanmedical.com? Is that where they go to like check out the clinic and maybe even schedule a consult from this? Absolutely. So baumanmedical.com uh, is the website for the practice. It's, you know, we've had it for 25 years. I've written every single word on that, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of pages and blogs and videos and stuff. I mean, it's, it would take you a while to get through all of it. And you'll see all the different types of technology that we've used over the years, different types of minimally invasive uh, devices from robotics to, uh, to a neograph, smart graft, artists, you name it. I mean, all of these different tools, Trevellini and such, and the different types of lasers and regenerative medicine uh, technologies, as well as all the latest products uh, and, and such that are under now the Bauman brand, the Bauman MD brand. Nice. So, but like that those, would be like the- those red lasers. People can maybe even find stuff like that on there. Oh, absolutely. So nice. like the Bauman Turbo Laser Cap is there on the e-store. You can click right through it from baumanmedical.com or you can go shop.baumanmedical.com and uh, and find it very easily you know there's a lot of uh, testimonials there so if your listeners are familiar with dave asprey he's a very prominent patient of ours who loves the laser red light therapy himself and uh, has had transplantation so you can track his journey through hair loss and hair restoration or even on the female side there's a lot of uh, women who have been through the procedures and treatments um influencers and such uh and articles to read and science to to reflect on. So whatever your level of concern or questions are, uh, even if you just have a simple question about hair loss, you can go to baumanmedical.com slash ask and ask me anything. Um, and we can start there. But it really starts with a consultation. So the links are there. And people say, oh my God, but you're in Boca Raton, Florida. You're not near me. I'm like, well, we can connect virtually just like we're doing today on this podcast. If you can hear my voice, we can talk to each other. <laughs> Because that means you have a phone or a computer, <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, and or our tablet, right? And so yeah. uh, we can connect virtually uh, from anywhere in the world. And uh, about fifty percent of my patients start with a virtual consultation. I spend half my day in, in that I do consults with patients virtually, as I did today, and the rest uh, are in person. So obviously, you're going to miss out on a detailed evaluation and AI-powered microscope density measurement if we're you know, consulting from a distance, but at least we can get an idea of what your concerns are, start up some medications and prescriptions, get you on a good uh, regimen at the earliest possible time. So the virtual consult is really, really powerful and, uh, and, and very simple to execute. It's not hard. If you can, nice. get, on Zoom, if you can get on your phone, <laughs> you know, make a call, you can get on a virtual consult. It's simple. 
Cool. It's, it's really, really nice to hear. And, and certainly what I took away from the beginning of our conversation was a lot of that foundational stuff with the nutrition, supplementation, evaluation of lifestyle. Like you have your patients do this stuff baseline and from a consult, people could certainly get going on that per your recommendations. Now, in the final bit of this combo, I guess I want to turn it over to like a little more about you in your lifestyle practices, maybe like what kind of hair care products that you recommend if you use a laser stuff that you focus on, uh, I guess maybe even just to you're a dad, you're healthy, very successful, like any things that you think are important from a well-being perspective that are core tenants to you. I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. And I think it'll be a nice way for everyone to get to know you even more from already a wonderful conversation, but a nice capstone for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, uh, I guess my wellness journey or, or uh, you know, if you could say my dysregulation journey started when I was a surgical resident uh, back in the 1990s. I was working 140 hours a week on call every other night or every third night. And uh, even at a time when they said that the, it, residents should be working less hours, I was kind of like, well, why? You know, I was kind of against it, to be honest. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I, it was kind of like a rite of passage. And then as I got into my entrepreneurial years, um, you know, many of my business mentors were, you know, sleep when you're dead and, you know, sleep is for the week and look at how much more I can accomplish. And so, you know, having a lot of persistence and drive naturally, uh, I think, uh, didn't lend itself to a lot of good quality sleep. And, but, um, I would say about 10 to 15 years ago, um, uh, I decided I was going to join my, uh, my brother-in-law at the time. Uh, on a ski trip. And I realized that I hadn't skied in like 10 years. I better get my butt back into the gym. And so the beginning of my journey to health and wellness started with hiring a personal trainer to get me ready for a ski trip. Uh, you know, cause I, ha- I love to ski. I skied since I was in high school. I was in the ski club in college and skied all the time with my buddies in medical school. And even a little bit when I could get out, uh, during my residency. But once I had moved to Florida, I really did not have the chance to do it. And, um, I reconnected with a lot of my friends and my family from New York and, and we would do a ski trip out West once a year. We still do that. Um, so that kind of started me on the, on the journey. And I, I think it was, um, my wife who said, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of around 2016, she's like, Oh, Alan, when, when is the baby due? Uh, and so, you know, I was realizing at that moment that I couldn't get my button closed on my new custom suit. And I was, you know, did not want to bring it to the tailor to make that happen. And so uh, my health journey progressed even farther at that moment to try to figure out how come if I had a personal trainer, how was he letting me get this way? Mm-hmm. And so there were some things I needed to fix. And, you know, nutrition and sleep were certainly two big ones. Uh, I changed my workout regimen. I changed my eating window. I changed what I eat and how I eat. Um, I am a foodie, so it's it's always a little bit of a struggle. I enjoy food. I don't I don't enjoy fast food, so I guess that's helpful. Uh, but I enjoy good food. And um, I found in my family life uh, from generations that food was always kind of the source of the family. Uh, a social time. And so from the time I was very, very young, we would vacation in the Catskills and it was basically all you can eat in New York in that time, uh, you know, all inclusive. And my parents still, who are my dad's is in, in his 80s, my mom in her 70s, they still go to all inclusive resorts and, and have fun the whole week there. And uh, I don't know how they get, the, get out there without being 400 pounds. But <laughs> so anyway, so um, I do, I switched out my, you know, big uh, like protein shake with all those frozen fruits in there and all the nuts and everything and yogurt and blah, blah, blah. I switched that out to fasting in the morning. And uh, I do an 18-6 most days, weekdays. Uh, I try to get to bed a lot earlier than I used to. 
I have an aura ring. It's probably the best biohack of 2017 um, to help me track my sleep, try to get a little bit better quality sleep, track my activity levels. Um, I also have, a, I wear a glucose monitor most of the time. Uh, I've learned a lot of what affects me metabolically and what things I can kind of get away with and what things I can't. And I'm always experimenting, at least that's my excuse, uh, for trying different things. But uh, I, I would say that, um, you know, listening to my mentors, whether it be uh, like someone like Peter Atia or uh, Dave Asprey and other folks in that sphere of biohacking and wellness and longevity, and being a member of the American Academy of Anti-Aging for over 20 years, I've been exposed to what I would say is the next generation of medical care, which is prevention. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, years ago, uh, I mean, I think I graduated medical school without knowing much of anything about nutrition and certainly nothing about exercise. I mean, zero. Um, and what you could write, uh, what you could learn, what I learned about nutrition from medical school, you could write on the back of a matchbook with a crayon. I mean, so everything else is, is, you know, self-taught and I've, I've made all the mistakes in fasting and things like that. I've had all, you know, I didn't, there was no book for me to read at that moment at that time when we decided to do these things. And, um, you know, kind of my personal trainer and, and our, our group of friends, you know, we've kind of like muddled our way through and it's true biohacking, right? When you try things and they don't work or you feel bad, uh, you know, to try to figure out how to make it work. But today, you know, for your listeners, there's so many ways to get the information now that I didn't have. And so, you know, there's books on how to fast, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, how to get good sleep. And, and so I encourage you to listen to these podcasts by the masters, you know, I mean, you know, it, and Peter and I work on a lot of patients together. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's been a great mentor to me through podcasting and, and his more recent book, which I just, just finished this weekend. It was amazing. So nice. I encourage everybody to check that stuff out. And, and the books that Dave has written as well. Uh, you know, obviously having him come to my clinic and have his hair transplant with me was, uh, was a, a bright shining star, I think, in my career. And uh, because he was the one that really changed my life with, uh, you know, with buttered coffee uh, way back when. I promptly lost those 20 pounds uh, within a short few months with a lot more energy and a lot more vitality. And, um, you know, and I have a, a great medical team that also assists me on the functional medicine side of things. So, you know, as we age, we have to watch our, our hormone levels and, and, you know, maybe we have to add in some peptides and things like that and increase our supplements and, and change our diet. So I'm on the, I'm on the path of like everybody else, hopefully. Uh, I want to be, I want to be able to ski when I'm a hundred years old. So that's my plan. And, uh, you know, this this centenarian decathlon or however many events I have to plan for, uh, when I'm a hundred, you know, uh, that's how I I plan for the future. Well, this was a beautiful conversation. It was really fun to get to hear about some of your personal longevity aspirations on top of everything you shared. Dr. Bauman, you're the man. I, and and I, I just, I'm so happy we got to have this conversation and I'm excited for everyone who listened to this to be excited to check the show notes because there's going to be links. But again, it's Bauman Medical, B-A-U-M-A-N Medical.com. You can check it out. And thanks for coming on today for our listeners. Well, thanks, Anthony. It's really great to be with you. Hey there, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Fit Mother Project podcast. If you love what you heard, I have a favor to ask you please consider taking 60 seconds right now to leave us a rating and review on our podcast. Leaving us a review is super quick. It only takes a minute and it's so, so helpful to us as it really boosts this podcast to reach more people who need this information and this message. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can leave us a star rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the like button and leave us a comment. 
Overall, I truly appreciate you being with us here on the podcast. On behalf of me and my entire Fit Mother Project team, we truly feel honored and grateful to support you and your family on your journey to fantastic health. I thank you for your support of this podcast and of this mission. Also, if you're interested in joining our Complete Fit Mother program and becoming an official member of our community, you can visit our website, fitmotherproject.com. And on the Fit Mother site, you'll be able to see our Complete Fit Mother program along with our online store with the best supplements designed for busy moms. And you'll also find a ton of free resources like recipes, workouts, meal plans, and more. God bless you and your family. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll catch you on the next episodes of the Fit Mother Project podcast.